Now, in the 1880s, the record industry began by simply having the artist perform to a horn, which was recorded by the opposite of a phonograph. And in 1924, the trade journal Talking Machine World, which covered the phonography and record industry at the time, reported that Eddie King, Victor Records' manager of the New York Artists and Repertoire Department, had planned a set of recordings. Now... This was perhaps the earliest printed use of A&R Man. Actually, it says neither A&R Man or even A&R. That was a name that was probably coined by Billboard magazine in 1946 and entered wide use in the late 1940s. Welcome to Deadwax 78s. This is Sean and, you know, Here's where we talk about all that old-timey music recording and, you know, music industry stuff. Today we're going to talk about the artist and repertoire man. Artists and repertoire, or A&R, is the division of a record label or a music publishing company that is responsible for scouting and overseeing the artistic development of recording artists and songwriters. It also acts as a liaison between artists and record labels or publishing companies, of course, and every activity involving the artist to the point of the album release is generally considered under the purview and responsibility of the A&R department. So the A&R division of a record label which is responsible for finding new talent and bringing those artists to the record company. So A&R staff may go to hear emerging bands uh, playing at nightclubs and festivals to scout out for the talent. Now personnel in the division are expected to understand the current tastes of the market and to be able to find artists that will be commercially successful. So for this reason A&R people are often young and many are musicians or music journalists, or even record producers. In the 1920s and the 30s, A&R executives like Ben Selvin of Columbia Records, Nathaniel Shilkret of Victor Records, and Baum Herring of Brunswick Records became the precursors of record producers, supervising recordings and often leading the session of the orchestra. During the 1940s, major record labels increasingly opened official A&R departments. Now, those roles included supervision of recording, and meanwhile, independent recording studios started to open, and that helped originate the record producer as a specialty. But despite a tradition of some A&R men of writing music, recording production, still referred to just as the manufacturing of record discs. Here's side one, Victor Military Band, under Eddie King, The Haunting Rag, 1913.
Edward T. Eddie King was the early 20th century percussionist, conductor, artist and repertoire man, and manager for Zonophone, the, the Victor Talking Machine Company, and Columbia Records. King joined Zonophone in 1905, and in 1907 became musical director of performances. Now, King began to work regularly in Victor's New York studio after Victor stopped the operation of its Zonophone subsidiary in 1912. As early as 1911, Victor used the name King's Orchestra for one of its house orchestras. From 1915 to 1920, King was the manager of Victor's Foreign Department, the unit responsible for making the recordings for the foreign and ethnic groups in the United States, excluding recordings made by Race Records, Hillbilly, and Export Departments. King's Orchestra was the primary house orchestra for making foreign recordings during this period. For the majority of the orchestra's foreign department recordings, King's Orchestra served as the accompanying orchestra for Victor foreign vocals and instrumental artists. About mid-1915, King hired Nathaniel Shilkrit to work for him as a conductor and arranger at Victor, and Shilkrit replaced King as manager of the foreign department when King was promoted to director of light music. King was also a member of Victor's A&R committee, which included Shilkrit, who cited King as the A&R man responsible for bringing Kate Smith to Victor. Now, as director of light music, King was well known for an authoritarian who would not permit any departure from the music that was written down. This was a source of irritation to many of the popular Victor recording artists at the time. King also conducted many other dance orchestras, such as those of Paul Whiteman, Ted Weems, and Irving Aronson. King uh, went to cities such as Chicago, Oakland, and New Orleans when Victor began recording in those cities. Now, King left Victor in October 1926 to go back to Columbia. And again, his replacement this time as Victor's director of light music was, you guessed it, Shilkrit. Here's side two, Nathaniel Shilkrit, Victor Orchestra, Mytonia, and the vocals are by Frank Munn, 
you're smiling, prancing, oh, your kisses are divine. Still I wonder if you're mine. Oh, sometimes I adore you madly, and sometimes I could leave you gladly. Where love undying still My heart keeps crying Tonya, are you really mine? So Nathaniel Shilkrit was an American music composer, conductor, and musical director. Shilkrit was a child prodigy touring the country with the New York Boys Orchestra from the ages of 7 to 13 as their clarinet soloist. From his late teens to his mid-twenties, he was a clarinetist in the best New York music organizations, including the New York Philharmonic Society and the New York Symphony Orchestra also the Metropolitan Opera House Orchestra, and Sousa's Grand Concert Band. So in 1926, when he became director of light music for Victor, he directed thousands of recordings, possibly more than anyone in recording history. Now his son Arthur estimates that the sales of these records was of the order of 50 million copies in all. He formed, wrote arrangements for, and conducted the Victor Salon Orchestra. He was the conductor of choice for many of Victor's innovative recordings. He conducted Victor's first record made by the electrical process in 1925. The first commercial Victor Long playing record in 1931, and was the first conductor to successfully dub an electrically recorded orchestral accompaniment over the acoustically recorded vocals of Enrico Caruso. The premier recording of George Gershwin's symphonic poem An American in Paris in 1929 was one of five conducted by Schilkrit that later earned Grammy Awards. Schilkrit also conducted Paul Whiteman's orchestra in the first electrical recording of Gershwin's Rhapsody in Blue in 1927, only after Whiteman refused to conduct following a disagreement with Gershwin. Here's side three. Kensington Serenaders, just a little cuter, Vocalia 1927, but really... Benjamin Bernard Selvin. <laughs> 
Now I ought to know, cause I travel so, just a little nicer. Now wait a little then you'll agree, where she walks, the sun always shines, shows real fancy all of her eyes, and is she, you know, better than best, she's just a little cuter than the Bernard Selvin is an American musician, band leader, and record producer. And he was known as the Dean of Recorded Music. According to the Guinness Book of World Records, Selvin recorded more musical sides on 78 RPM discs than any other person. One reason for his uh, prolific output is that he recorded for dozens of different record labels during his productive time in the industry. Of course, by using different names for each label. His output has been estimated at 13,000 to 20,000 song titles. Of course, with many aliases that are too many to repeat here. And from 1927 to 1934, Selvin was the artist and repertoire A&R director for Columbia Records, where his many productions included musicians uh, Mamie Klein, Manny Goodman, Tommy Dorsey, Jimmy Dorsey, Joe Venuti, Eddie Lang, and Bunny Berrigan. Many of these recordings are collectible and prized, especially the ones that were recorded from 1931 to 1934. Now another was Bob Herring. He was an American popular music band leader in the 20s and early 30s. And he began recording as the music director of the then new Cameo Records label beginning in about 1922. Under a plethora of pseudonyms, uh, Cameo was one of the primary dime store labels in the 20s. And Herring's sessions there were issued on uh, Plaza, ARC and other labels, including uh, Romeo, uh, Perfect, Oriole, and, and a lot of other ones. But by 1929, Heron had been appointed the music director of Brunswick Recording Laboratories in New York City. He was to supervise musical arrangements in connection with recording. Bob Heron continued to record for Brunswick Records until the Warner Brothers 
took over the company in April 1930, and the subsequent reorganization that took place led to the non-renewal of Herring's contract in March 1931. Herring then recorded for ARC, which was, you know, actually Banner and Oreo, Perfect Romeo, uh, throughout July 1931. Herring continued to work in radio, however, until the introduction of swing music had drastically changed the public's taste in music about 1935. Here's side four, Bob Herring Orchestra, I Want to Be Loved by You on Path A 1928. personally prefer Helen Kane as Betty Boop singing this I'm just saying I want to be loved by you ba-dum, 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 ba-dum. 
As music became more widely available and popular, it was inevitably commercialized. Uh, big record labels held a monopoly on the music industry, and, and arguably they still do, albeit to a lesser extent. The A&R men would identify potential successful candidates on their way to the top and provide them with the necessary resources to record their music in the hopes that some of these artists would become stars. Thank you for listening. This has been Deadwax 78s. I'm your host, Sean, and you know what? I'll catch you on the flip side. Yes, indeed. Thank you. C.C. Ryder.